As auditors, what we strive to do, and I think we accomplished in this audit, is to provide policymakers with reliable, objective information to help them make these difficult policy decisions. This morning, the Legislative Audit Subcommittee met to hear presentations regarding the two most recent legislative audits. Most consequently, the legislative auditors presented findings from a report examining the Intermountain Power Plant in Millard County and potential risks and vulnerabilities within the governance of the plant. Joining us today to discuss the findings of these audits is Legislative Auditor General Cade Minchie and the Audit Manager Brian Dean. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Edward. First, I'd like to explain, we released this Government Excellent Efficiency Evaluation follow-up of the Office of the Medical Examiner. This was a process that was created in the 2021 Legislative General Session through House Bill 326. And so what happened is it created this process in which LFA, the Legislative Fiscal Analyst, and the Governor's Office of Planning and Budget would target key processes and then together go in and jointly evaluate what needs to improve in these processes. And so they did this of DTS, the Division of Technology Services, and the Office of the Medical Examiner. As part of HB 326, our office is the accountability piece. We come in about six months after the audits have been completed or the efficiency evaluations have been completed. And then we come in and we ensure that the recommendations have been implemented. And then we report back to the legislature. In April of this year, we released our best practice manual that provides a blueprint to allow agencies to start identifying some of these improvements that need to happen in critical processes. And so it could help be that fence at the top of the hill instead of an ambulance at the bottom. And so with the Office of the Medical Examiner, you're seeing the process kind of come full circle. There was four recommendations that were made in this audit that dealt specifically with the medical examiner, how they do their autopsies, and then issue the death reports. And so there was a number of issues that surrounded the pathologist's use of time and how they were being done because they weren't getting these reports in accordance with national accreditation standards. And so as our office went in and we evaluated this, we found that all four recommendations are still in process, but there is process in, in place to get these recommendations implemented. We recommended in this follow-up that the office needs to operationalize their plan to help move it forward, and they are moving this forward to implementation. So this report is really a follow-up based off of the findings from the Legislative Fiscal Analyst and the Governor's Office of Planning and Budget. And based off of these findings, it, it seems like they're right on process with exactly what they should be doing, correct? Yes, they've agreed and they're in the process of implementing these recommendations. Our office will continue to follow up in another six months to ensure implementation. And then we report back annually to Legislative Management Committee on the status of all the recommendations. So let's dive into this heavy audit that we have before us, this performance audit of the Intermountain Power Agency. Kate, do you want to take a minute to just kind of set the stage with this report and what exactly this means and, and how we arrived at this point? Thanks, Edward. Always happy to be here. And we had a really great audit subcommittee today, and we dove into a lot of really important issues. Just to kind of highlight some of what we talked about today and give some of the background, and I'll let Brian kind of give a little bit of the context behind the audit. One thing I wanted just to mention uh, to you and to the listeners is the importance of governance. As we look at organizations that we audit across the state, whether it be state entities or local government, governance, meaning how an organization is managed for the top level down, needs to be very carefully thought about. Otherwise, all the problems downstream just don't tend to get corrected, has been our experience over the last many years. And so I just would like to draw to attention the, to the listeners, finding 2.4 of the reports on page 33. It's a little bit deep into the report, but it's really important 
And it says the legislature can consider providing stronger state-level governance of the project. This is clearly a legislative prerogative, and there's a lot of things that need to be carefully weighed as to how that could look. And I won't go into all the detail here other than to say that the legislature did this with another entity in 2018, the Utah Transit Authority. This was also after a legislative audit that came four years prior to that. And the legislature saw the importance of adjusting the governance of that organization, which was largely how the board was run. It went from a larger board, I think it was about a dozen people, down to three full-time commissioners. And we're back in there auditing again. And I can't release any audit fines, but I can tell you that there's been improvement made there. And we think a lot of that is because of the governance. With that in mind, we'd just like to highlight the importance of governance. We'll let Brian kind of get into the nuts and bolts of some of the audit and give some context and background. Thanks, Kid. So based off of the findings of this audit, there are some issues or some concerns with the governance of the Intermountain Power Agency. Before we get too deep, Brian, can you take a second to explain what exactly is the Intermountain Power Agency? I'm sure that there's the majority of Utahns out there that have never heard of this entity before. Can you give us a quick background as to where this entity came from and what exactly it does here in the state? Absolutely. Thanks, Edward. IPA was created in May of 1977 as a Utah interlocal cooperation entity when 23 Utah municipalities jointly signed an organizational agreement and they created the Intermountain Power Plant that's located in Delta, Utah. This was a coal-powered plant that provided energy. The idea was is that these 23 municipalities would be a source of electricity for them to use. And then when they started into the plans, they realized early on that the 23 municipalities would not be able to use all of the energy that would be generated from this plant. So then they started looking for other users. And so a number of users in Southern California started signing on to use this electricity. And so as the project has, has grown, what's happened is, is that the energy that's been used over the history of the project up to today's date, about 98% of all the electricity that's been generated has been used by municipalities in Southern California. And so the idea is the 23 municipalities over the lifetime of the project, they've only used about 2%. And so the benefit that these municipalities continue to use is that if they want to draw down the energy, if they have a shortage, they can. What has happened over the years is that the pricing of the electricity that's being generated is, is that the Utah municipalities have been able to find it cheaper, but for California, it's cheaper than what electricity they can get. So it's been very beneficial to them, and it hasn't served the same purposes in the sense of providing the energy to these 23 municipalities over the lifetime of the project. So this power plant that's down there in Millard County, even though it kind of has a primary purpose of serving these 23 Utah municipalities, it primarily serves power users down there in Southern California. Now, over the last couple of years, Intermountain Power Plant has been in the news a little bit more. Can you explain why are we starting to hear more and more talk about this power plant in particular? What's been happening over the last several years in particular that's really kind of shined a light on the power plant. Well, and this goes back to its creation. One of the things that made this attractive that the legislature got involved is because they were going to bring significant numbers of jobs down to Millard County, and also they were going to exclusively use Utah coal. But what has happened as California, they're not using any coal-generated electricity moving forward, and so the plant has moved away. They've moved into a project called IPP Renewed, which now they're moving to more natural gas and other alternative sources of energy generation. And so that has been pushing for the decommission of the plants. And so as they're moving that, they're no longer going to be using Utah coal. 
And then as they move forward, the number of jobs that have been created, like in the mid to late 90s, that number peaked. There was over 600 jobs that were being supported by this plant. But as the project continues to move forward, the number of jobs are being significantly reduced. They're projecting that it'll be somewhere between 60 and 100 jobs moving forward because the new plant just doesn't require that number of jobs. There's still a big benefit of the plant to Millard County, but there also comes cost to Millard County in the sense of public safety. They use the natural resources down there. They use the water. And so they have these costs to Millard County. And so then again, it's the idea that okay, we're no longer using the Utah coal. So it's been a diminishing benefit over the years. Mm-hmm. Now, can you explain what are the audit recommendations now that we're faced with some of these challenges within the state to really try and tackle some of these problems moving forward? Well, one of the things, as Kate already mentioned, we have a number of recommendations that's geared towards the legislature because this is the legislature's prerogative to determine the governance of this interlocal agreement that's going on through here. And so the governance of it, if we can get this right, then it helps address a lot of the problems that are downstream. So we make a number of recommendations that address the governance of the project. We also have recommendations that address the taxing of the entity. They're very unique. They're the only entity like this in the state that operate in this realm. And so instead of having an assessed property tax, they pay a fee in lieu ad valorem taxes, which means ultimately that they negotiate what they're going to pay with the taxing entity. And so this negotiation was thought to be, hey, this can be a win-win for all. But one of the things that we found is over the years, those agreements have been disputed and they've been appealed for a significant number of the years of the operation. And so we make some recommendations that surrounding the taxes and then also looking at the impact alleviation payments. They paid $21 million in these impact alleviation taxes because there's a significant impact to the plant, to Miller County. But as part of it, they're allowed to receive an impact alleviation credit. And so while they paid $21 million, they've received $17 million back in credits, which reduces the taxes that they pay going forward. And so, again, the impact is still there for Miller County. We recommend that the legislature address those as well. Now, one of the big recommendations that you have in this audit report is to have the legislature really look at the governance. And, Cade, you mentioned this a little bit already in your remarks, but really examining the governance of this board and how examining the way that we govern this IPA board might really start to affect and help the state address a lot of these challenges that are coming down the pike. Right now, can you tell us what is the current makeup of this board and what are some of the audit recommendations for how the legislature could examine or re-examine some of the governance of this entity? Right now, the makeup of the board is individuals get appointed from the municipalities that serves part of the participating municipalities. For example, what's happening in Miller County is being made by individuals that are from other municipalities, you know, not even geographically close to Millard County. And so one of the things that we recommend is that the legislature can look at the structure of this. Like, for example, there could be appointed members to this board uh, appointed by the speaker and the president or the governor. Again, we provide a list of options. That's a policy decision best left to the legislature. The IPA board has kind of been directed by what the users want to be. And as I mentioned earlier, 98% of the generation is going to Southern California. They have long-term plans in place that determine where their energy is going to come from. But the IPA board's been relying on them. We recommend that there can be much more state-focused, long-term planning to make sure that we are addressing the needs that not only benefit Miller County, but benefit the state as a whole. Mm-hmm. So, Kate, as we really look at this Intermountain Power Agency and, and you know, changes that the legislature could make to the governance of this, what are some of the ways that Utah can really change the way that we think about this power agency and what we can do moving forward? Thanks, Edward. Again, uh, 
appreciate being here. Just to wrap up, I think some of the comments, you know, that was made throughout today, the audit subcommittee helped with this. But really, I think the key findings here that we're talking about is how do we want this project to look going forward for the next 50 years? There's contracts that have been signed going forward that far in the future. And what we're asking for the legislature is there are opportunities to review the governance, to review what is the um, desired outcome of this project from the context of what should the benefit to the citizens of the state of Utah be for this project. And that's really, I think, the key issues. Most of the recommendations in this report go to the legislature. They're policy questions. There are some hard policy questions in this. And as auditors, what we strive to do, and I think we accomplished in this audit, is to provide policymakers with reliable, objective information to help them make these difficult policy decisions. And so going forward, we expect there to be a lot of comments and a lot of information that will come forward, and we're happy to continue to help the legislature in any way that they need going forward. Well, we look forward to seeing exactly what the legislature does. We know that this is a really important issue. It's a really weighty issue. And so we look forward to seeing exactly how these audit recommendations shake out over the next legislative session. Thanks, Edward.